You're listening to a podcast from Victory Alabang. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God? Find out in this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Today we are starting a brand new series on uh, Jesus. Basically this series is entitled Past Perfect. Everybody say Past Perfect. And you're probably wondering what this means. Basically we're going to be looking at the Old Testament and four pictures of uh, the significance of the symbols or typology of Christ in the Old Testament uh, that happened in the past that was made perfect through the life of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called past perfect. We're going to be looking at, uh, today we're going to be looking at Jesus as the perfect redeemer, basically being a lamb of God. How many of you have heard of Jesus as a lamb of God? Okay, I think that's a very familiar picture for us, but what happened in the Old Testament that points to that in the New Testament? We're going to be talking about the perfect mediator, basically him being the high priest, and then the perfect substitute, and then the last is the perfect man. As uh, as our guidance for us, this whole uh, four weeks or four weekends that we're going to be looking at this series, our objective is to highlight the significance of God's sovereign plan for salvation that is revealed in the Old Testament, fulfilled through Christ's life and death. So basically, this is talking about salvation and redemption. How many of you are glad that we have a way out of our sin and way out from hell? Amen. And, you know, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross that basically gave us the opportunity to have access back to the Father. And so we're going to be looking at that in the next four weeks. Now, you know, of course, there are some things that uh, have changed maybe with our own personal lives in the past years or in the past decades. So how many of you would personally say that there is something that changed in you in the past decade? Maybe you have grown wiser, right? Or maybe you have grown taller. Or maybe you have more gray hair or more wrinkles or maybe lesser hair or maybe more weight. Whatever it is, we've changed, right? And hopefully it's a change for the better. Turn to the person beside you and tell that person you still look good despite the change. I think the only permanent thing in this life is change, right? Things change. Price of commodities change. Hopefully, if you're married to one wife, that will never change. Don't change wives, okay? That is one permanent thing in this life. Now, of course, if you're looking at maybe the way we listen to music before. Now, how many of you normally listen to music still nowadays, okay? Maybe you turn on your radio or you turn on you know, your mobile device and you have music. But remember the time when music was through this? Now, some of you young people don't even know what this picture means. Okay. Now, how many of you know what this is? What is this? Cassette tape. You just revealed your age. You know, me and my wife was uh, talking once and you know how it is the expression before? If you memorize like certain lyrics of a song, you can, actually, you can actually just sing it and belt it right exactly according to the music that was uh, sang by the, by the singer. And so the term was, before, it was tape na tape. 
And so one time, Shirley said, wow, tape na tape. And so one of my daughters were asking, what do you mean tape na tape? Scotch tape, masking tape. They couldn't understand because that was like our language before. And we know that when you have a cassette tape, this, the part of the cassette tape is actually a pencil, right? In, oh, see? Because you got to tighten it up before you put it in the cassette player. And then there's not going to be rock and roll to the world. So it doesn't play that way, okay? But that was then. But what about now? Of course, nowadays, you know, this, this was replaced by the CD. Eventually, it was replaced by Walkman. And then I, uh, well, Walkman was the device playing this. And then iPod, and then iPad, and then iPhone. Nowadays, we have what we call digital streaming. And so you can actually listen to music via the iCloud. And so you, either you have Spotify, uh, Apple actually per, you know, followed suit by launching their uh, Apple Music through the iTunes and so on and so forth. And so whatever or however you listen to music, things still remain. We still enjoy music in our ears. So no matter how, uh, you know, what form there is. Now, even in the way we uh, look at news, of course, the traditional way to look at news is to read the newspaper. But nowadays, there are digital devices as well. And so... You know, you may subscribe or you may not subscribe to newspapers anymore, but you can still be updated with the latest news. In fact, when I would travel, I, you know, personally, I don't subscribe anymore to newspaper in the house because everything is available through our mobile device. Even when I travel, I actually just download an app, whether it's uh, GMA News or whether it's ABS-CBN, I can actually be updated like that uh, in my, at the, at the, at the convenience of my my fingertips of course the way we watch before was we use a an appliance like this uh you know it's a black and white tv it's actually a weapon in your house if there's a burglar you can actually throw it and he will die instantly okay because of the weight of this particular television but you know there's not even a remote control then back in the day and so the way to the way to change channels, and guess what? There's only, I think, about 30 knobs in here. And then you go back to channel 2, okay? And that's about it. So there's no UHF channel or no cable channels. But nowadays, you have all this, you know, hundreds of channels available at your fingertips because of cable TV. Of course, we have YouTube. You watch this on your devices and so on and so forth. So what's the point? Things change. But the principle of us enjoying the service, whether it's music, news, or television, is still there. How about the redemption plan of God for us? It is kind of like a long shot. When you look at the Bible, somehow you would look at maybe the story of Christ is given in the New Testament. Is it true for us then that this is just something that is applicable for us who are living in the New Testament and not applicable to the people there in the Old Testament? That when you talk about the redemptive plan of God for us, is it just applicable for us here the moment Jesus came? Or were there pictures or foreshadow or typology? Everybody say typology. So it'll add on to your theological vocabulary, okay? So really, when you look at it, if you look at the Bible, there are different facets of the Word that basically points to the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, when Jesus was 
refuting the religious leaders of his time. He was basically rebuking the Pharisees. And how many of you are familiar with the Pharisees? You know, they know the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They're, they're teachers of the law, yet they are hypocrites. And Jesus told them, you whitewashed sepulchers or you whitewashed tombs. Can you imagine? You know, that's evangelism 101 for you. If you want to evangelize to a sinner, I'm not talking about that. But that's, that's a style of Jesus that basically confronts the religious leaders of his time. And he said this in John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. And these Pharisees basically have memorized the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Now, how many of you have tried reading the Old Testament? Okay. How many of you are enjoying the New Testament more than the Old Testament? Okay. How many of you enjoy reading the maps more than, you know, any of the other Testament at the back of the Bible? Okay, anyway. You know, many times when you look at the Old Testament, you know, we have this thinking that it's difficult to understand. Particularly when you hit Leviticus and Numbers. Yes, right? And when you hit Leviticus, what do you do? You sleep some more, right? Or maybe you jump to the book of Matthew. But in reality, when you look at the Old Testament, every piece of scripture and every piece of story really points to Christ. That's exactly it. Of course, he came in the New Testament. Four gospels were written about him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yet, you would see that there was a foreshadowing of Jesus, even in the Old Testament. Pictures of Him, pointing to Him, and a foreshadow of the covenant that God has for us. And it's really amazing that if you learn to have the discipline to read the Bible, wisdom is at hand. Now, how many of you are desiring wisdom? You got to read your Bible. You know, Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it, how many times? Day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Of course, if I ask you, how many of you would like to be prosperous? I think that's a 100% show of hands, right? How many of you would like to be prosperous? Lord, take a picture of these people. Give them prosperity right now. Oh, you lost your chance. Anyway, so just kidding. And successful. But it's about reading the scripture. It's not just about reading the scripture. It's about finding the person of Christ in the scripture. We're not to use the scripture as a formula. This is what happened to the Pharisees before. They think that by being legalistic in obeying the scripture, that they actually possess eternal life. Yet the Bible says, this very scriptures are the one pointing to me, yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. So my prayer is that in the next four weeks, we're going to know Jesus more. We're going to actually look at the Bible in a different light, in a different way, that when you look at the, even the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible from cover to cover, that you will see Jesus in every page of Scripture. I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 12. Bring out your Bible. And so we're going to be reading from verse 11 to 13. Now, we normally use ESV. And what does ESV stand for again? Essentials of victory, right? Very good. Or 
English Standard Version. Now, if you have a Bible in your hand, no matter what version it is, may it be NLT or NIV or NASB or King James or New King James, I would like to invite you to read out loud with me and let's make a joyful noise in this church by reading the scripture. It's called the public reading of scripture. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 11 up to 13. Okay, ready? One, two, three. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this afternoon. As we study your word, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better and to appreciate the redemptive plan and the gift that you have given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we are asking that you would bless and anoint the preaching of your word today. Encourage your people, God. I thank you that you will give us a deeper desire and devotion to study your scriptures. And may we find Jesus in every page of the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. So let me just uh, study the setting or set the setting of the story where we've read the scripture. We've read in Exodus chapter 12. Basically, this is a time when the Israelites were in, the, in Egypt and they were crying out for a redeemer or a deliverer. Now, you got to understand that years before, about 400 years back in history or back in time, there was this man named Joseph. Remember Joseph the dreamer? Okay, he was sold by his brother as a slave to Egypt simply because he had a dream. And his brothers hated him for his dream because his dream was that he saw the sun and the moon and the stars bow down before him. And another kind of a dream is that sheaves, 11, she or 11 sheaves were bowing down before him. And basically this is a picture of his brother being subordinate to him even though he was much younger than them. And so his dreams cost him his freedom, and eventually he became a slave in Egypt. But how many of you know that if God speaks to us, whether in a dream or in a prophecy, God will be faithful to fulfill His word upon us? Amen. And it's exactly what happened to Joseph. No matter how hard and how dire the circumstance was, God was in that situation. He became a slave in the house of Potiphar, and yet the favor of God was with him. And how many of you know that no matter what you're doing, the favor of God can be with us? Amen. You don't have to have an influential position in your company to be favored by God. You may actually be a clerk in the bank and be highly favored by God, just like Joseph. And eventually, God was the one who promoted Joseph from the house of Potiphar into a prison cell. How many of you would like that promotion? So he was sent there sovereignly, 
And he continued to trust in the Lord and interpreted dreams. And eventually, he landed in Egypt as the second in command. Basically, the vice pharaoh. With regards to anything in the kingdom, you know, aside, I guess aside from the king's food, he's got authority over that. And so, basically what happened was he saved Egypt from famine. And because of this, the pharaoh at that time was so grateful to Joseph. And he said, you know, I want you to bring your entire family to live here in Egypt because the rest of the world was suffering at that time because of the famine that hit the world. And only Egypt had food to spare. And so the father of Joseph was Jacob together with his brothers and their family. Seventy people in all were sent into Egypt and they were given a, you know, a VIP kind of a city or a treatment. And they, they were actually placed in the land of Goshen. And how many of you know that your gifts, you know, and your, uh, the, way you, the, the way you obey God will actually open the door for you? And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. So he was given favor. The best of the land was given to him. But yet fast forward it, after Joseph and his brothers died and that generation passed away, a new Pharaoh came out in the land of Egypt who neither was familiar with what Joseph did to Egypt and so all he saw was this growing population of Israelites in Egypt at that time. And so what he did was he felt like the Israelites were a threat to Egypt. And so he placed taskmasters over them and he made them slaves. And this is where we find the context when they were crying out to Moses and their slavery in Egypt and Moses you know, he was out in the wilderness, was called by God to come back to Egypt to set God's people free. What does that signify to us? It is a picture of our slavery to sin. That you and I, before we had an encounter with Jesus Christ, we were slaves to sin, aren't we? That we had struggles with sin. We had struggles with lying. We had struggles with bitterness. We had struggles with lust. We have struggles with pride. We had struggles with unforgiveness. We had struggles with all these things. And no matter how religious we are, we need a Savior. Amen. And sometimes what we do is we're comparing ourselves to another person. I'm not as bad as this guy. This guy deserves to go to hell. Guess what? We are in the same boat. We're on the same highway to hell. We're going the same direction. No matter, you know, no matter what kind of sin you're dealing with, whether a small sin, a big sin, or a mega sin, or maybe whatever kind of sin, national level kind of a sin, that sin will still lead to death. Because the wages of sin is death. And it basically binds us into a form of slavery. God wants to set us free from our slavery. Amen. And I remember when I was a young boy, I thought I was okay. I was doing good. I thought I was, you know, this kind of a boy that you can call the boy next door type. Thou. So, I, you know, I was, I was one who's, you know, excelling in academics. Uh, I was, you know, sports-minded. I used to, you know, play different kinds of sport. And so I was basically a behaved boy. Aside from that, I, was, I thought I was an obedient boy. 
to my parents. And as very religious, I would go to church regularly. And on my free time, I would actually serve in church. And that's a church in BF Homes. Maybe some of you are familiar with that Catholic church in phase one. Simbanang Pagkabuhay. I think that's the name of the church. And I was always there. And I thought that I didn't really need any help because I was a good boy. How many of you feel that you were a good girl or a good boy growing up? Come on now, Pastor Ryan. I believe that, right? He used to have a lot of hair. (laughs) But, you know, many of us would think that we are a good boy. And the danger of thinking that way is maybe we don't need a Savior or a Redeemer. Maybe we don't need help. And I didn't realize that I was so full of pride and so full of religiosity and so full of self-sufficiency. And that's the danger there. And it's sometimes easier to see a change in a person who is really steep in sin. And when God encounters that person, there's a total change in his life versus a person who is religious. And that's the story of me and my brother. You know, when me, my, my brother Bernard is the opposite. If I like to study, he loves to like go around and party, something like that. He's part of a group called the Litro Boys, whatever that means. But I remember when finally God apprehended me when I was 18 years old to finally free me from my slavery of pride. I remember sharing the same faith to my brother. And a week later, he went to church, gave himself to the Lord. And in my parents' thinking, they saw a bigger change in my brother because my brother did a 180-degree change. From someone who is not going home regularly, now he goes home pretty regularly you know, during dinner time, and he would now read his Bible, and he would study, and he would respect my parents. And I thought, I used to do that all along. My point is this, whatever sin that they're struggling with, we are all slaves of that thing. And since we're slaves, we need a redeemer. We need a deliverer. And this is exactly what happened to the Israelites. When Moses finally came and his agenda was to deliver the people of Egypt, uh, people of Israel out of Egypt, Basically, the Pharaoh did not want to let the people go, and, and God hardened his heart. And so, you know, God sent different kinds of plagues at that time. The water turned into blood. Then he sent the plague of frogs. Can you imagine frogs in your bedroom when you sleep at night beside you? Kokak. Pinoye. How do you say Kurok. Or rabbit? Rabbit. Oh, rabbit. Oh, rabbit. I thought it's for rabbit. Uh, rabbit. Frogs, gnats, flies, disease upon the, the livestock, boils. Have you ever had a boil in your body? In Tagalog, it's called pig sap. One boil. I used to have one here when I was in high school. The, the pain all over my body is unimaginable. And yet the plague during that time was the people in Egypt had boils all over them. I wonder how they sleep at night. And then the 
plague of locusts, the plague of darkness. This first nine plagues basically addressed was addressed specifically to the people of Egypt. But yes, yet this tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, is actually going to affect even the Israelites if they don't obey the instructions. So this is where we see now the Passover wherein the people of Israel or the Jewish people were actually now preparing for the flight out of Egypt. And so where does the Passover come in with regard to the person of Christ? And this is where we want to unpack this particular truth. That this Passover lamb, when they were actually preparing for this, Moses and Aaron were telling the Jews, you've got to prepare for this because tonight the angel of death will come upon your house. And he will check if you have the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. If there is a blood, he will what? Pass over. If there is no blood, he will what? Knock on your door. Ring on your bell. And enter freely. And so, three pictures of Jesus as the lamb. First is Jesus is the perfect lamb. Everybody say perfect lamb. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 3, we're... We're looking at the instruction of the Lord to the, to the nation of Israel. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. One lamb, one household. I wonder how many houses there were in, in Goshen at that time. They were trying to calculate and I think it's found in Exodus chapter 13, maybe verse 15. The number of Israelites that went out, 600,000 men, not counting women and children. So can you imagine, do the math. If many of these men are married, plus one or two children, easily they could actually be two million. So how many households or how many houses were there and how many lambs were killed at that night? In verse 5, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male uh, year old. Without blemish means that there's no problem with the lamb. That's why in the Old Testament, the priest would actually inspect the lamb. There should be no open sores. There should be no broken bones. There should be no allergies. There should be no you know, uh, cut in the ears or something like that. It must not be maimed. You know, it has to be perfect. It has got to be without defect. And this is the only acceptable sacrifice before God. And how many of you know that whenever we would give something to the Lord, it has got to be a perfect sacrifice? God wants our best, amen, and not our leftover. The difference between Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice is that Abel gave a better sacrifice to the Lord. That's why he gave favor upon that particular sacrifice. Perfect lamb, without defect. This is the picture of Christ. Yet we are in the total opposite of the pendulum. We are imperfect beings. We are sinful beings. In fact, a description of the psalm, uh, psalmist when he was writing Psalm 51 verse 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, the reason why we sin is not because we discovered sin along the way. The reason why we sin is because we were born sinners. Do we understand that? That by nature, no one has got to teach us to sin. We will just naturally sin. Now, how many of you have more than two children? 
Okay, in your household, when you have at least two children, you know, it's an adventure. You get to see the exposition of human nature, the selfishness, and the pride, and the, you know, the, the desire to have more than the other one. You know, you don't have to go far. You know, just look at our kids' church. Maybe in, a, in the toddler room, if there was a bunch of toys there, and there may be a, maybe 10, 15 kids, after maybe 15 minutes, they're probably fighting over one toy. Even if there's about 100 toys all over the place. Why is that? Sinful nature. Selfishness. Always thinking about the me, the mine, and the I. Because the root of sin is the letter I. It's I. Turn to the person beside you and tell that person, you have a tendency to sin because of selfishness and pride. That's why we're desperate for a Redeemer. Romans 7 verse 19 says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Of course, you know this. You know, there's always an internal struggle. You want to change? You don't want to change. You want to change? You don't want to change. You want to do good? You don't do good. You know, you do this, you succumb, something like that, okay? But did not magawa because of the sin living in us. But yet, Jesus is the perfect lamb. He is the sinless lamb who can actually take our place. And he did take our place on the cross. Because of this, we can actually put ourselves into his hand. And that's John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus was walking, He was declaring that this is the sacrifice that we're looking for. This is the perfect Lamb that is the only acceptable sacrifice that God can use in order to save mankind. Jesus, the perfect Lamb. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The writers of the New Testament is actually confirming the fact that Jesus is that lamb. The picture of the Passover is actually a picture of a lamb pointing to the New Testament about the coming of Christ. That one day, there is a lamb that is even more perfect than this lamb that we're sacrificing. Because year after year, they had to do this in order for them to have atonement for their sins. But once and for all, everybody say once and for all. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and that sacrifice was more than enough because He is the sinless, perfect Lamb that God recognizes. Amen? No other form of sacrifice is required anymore because He died for our sins because He is the perfect Lamb. You know, many times during Holy Week, we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You're familiar with the picture of Holy Week, right? You know, the coming of Jesus to Jerusalem is the time when, you know, he will be given to uh, Pilate and Barabbas would be freed and so on and so forth. But the emphasis of that week was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when you talk about the gospel, the gospel is not just about the death of Christ. The gospel is about the life that he lived even before his death. That is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died 
in our place. Three days later, He rose again from the dead, proving He is the Son of God. And, you know, once and for all, He's offering the gift of eternal life to those who would repent of their sins and He would believe in His name. That is the gospel. The gospel not just only focuses on the death of Christ. It focuses on the perfect life of our Savior while He was walking here on earth. That is the gospel. And we celebrate that. There's no one like Him. Even the devil wanted to tempt Him. Remember the time in Matthew chapter 4 when He was tempted by the devil? When He was fasting? How many of you tried fasting? And how many of you felt hungry in your fast? It's normal, right? Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And He was hungry. And the devil tried to tempt him, and yet he did not give in because he wanted to present himself perfect because he thus was the perfect lamb who was about to be slain at that time. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. This lamb, this man who was perfect, was sinless. But yet at the cross, he became he did not just have sin. The Bible says he became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, every time Jesus would pray and he taught this to his disciples, he would say, Our Father. Our Father is the address, the salutation of, of Jesus to his Father. He says, he says an intimate relationship between him and his dad. And even God Himself acknowledged that he's, when He said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But yet there was one part of history wherein Jesus on that cross did not address God as a Father. For the first time He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the wrath of God was being poured out upon Jesus at that time because of the sins of mankind. That happened in history. And He did that for His love for you and me. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. There's nothing wrong with Christ. He was totally you know, qualified for the sacrifice. 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Perfect. Sinless lamb. Second is, not only was he a sinless lamb, Jesus also became the sacrificial lamb. Sacrifice was necessary in order to have forgiveness for our sins. This is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden when they, you know, broke the command of God and for the first time, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, their eyes were opened. And they realized they were naked. And so what did Adam and Eve do? They got some leaves and sewed fig leaves and they covered themselves with man-made clothing. This was the start of couture or fashion industry as we know it. I don't know what brand that was. But when God looked at them and Adam was basically saying to the Lord, I was naked and I was afraid so I hid. That is the cause of sin. The effect of sin is feeling naked, fear, and guilt, and isolation. That's the effect of sin. And yet God said, this is not 
going to be acceptable, what he did was he replaced their clothing with animal skins. And what has to be done before animal skins have to be taken? You've got to kill the animal first. Here we see that from day one, animal sacrifice was already the redemptive plan of God for man in order to atone for man's sin. Exodus chapter 12 verse 6 says, And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. That was the instruction that you are to kill the lamb at twilight. Twilight means in between two evenings. And it's interesting to know that even the Lord Jesus, when he was hanging on that cross as a sacrificial lamb, it was between a twilight, between two evenings. The Bible says he died at the ninth, between the ninth and the eleventh hour, which basically when you translate it to us, it's between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. before evening on that, on that day. Verse 7, it says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood, everybody say the blood, will be a, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So in every Israelite house... There was blood on the doorpost. Have you ever tried this as a decoration for Christmas? Anyway, it's red. But it was significant then that the blood should not just stay on the basin inside the home of the Israelites. They may obey the Lord by killing a lamb. They may actually enjoy the... You know, the Bible says they are to kill the lamb and each household is to enjoy it by roasting it. They're not to eat it raw. They're not to eat it boiled, so sushi lamb is not allowed at that time. They are to roast the lamb, and that's the only acceptable way to eat it. But they have to do something with the blood. The blood has got to be put on, a, sprinkled you know, right there at the doorpost and the lentils. If there's no blood on the doorpost, the angel of death will strike death, and disaster is going to be upon that house. Guess what? It is not enough for us to know that Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago. It's a given fact. It's history. Many people will miss heaven by 18 inches. Why 18 inches? Because 18 inches is the distance between your head to your heart. Or maybe 12 inches. Or maybe 8 if you're shorter. But however the measurement is, it's the distance between your head because many times we know it in our heads that Jesus, yes, He's a lamb. Yes, He died on the cross. Yes, that happened in history. And okay, I know that. But is there a sprinkling of the blood in our hearts? And the picture of this is every household has got to sprinkle the blood in front of their doorpost. They cannot depend on the, the household of their father. Anyway, my dad sprinkled his blood anyway on his doorpost. I am already covered. It's an individual faith. It's an individual application of the blood. Each one, for us today, we are to have our personal lamb presented before the Lord as an acceptable offering before Him. We cannot depend on our family 
or maybe the one who invited us to church, or maybe our loved one. Anyway, you're saved. Kasama na ako doon. No, you gotta have an individual decision, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We've got to have a relationship with God by sprinkling and by applying faith in what Jesus Christ did on that cross 2,000 years ago. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Indeed, everybody say, Indeed. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. What a bloody sacrifice. It's a bloody sacrifice. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Blood is necessary in order to have forgiveness and redemption for sin. There is no saving if there's no blood shedding. Blood has got to be shed. And this is really the picture of what happened in the past. It was gruesome. It was bloody. You know, if you look at the community of the Israelites at that time, you'd see blood all over the place. Yet, whose blood was that? You know, we know that when you talk about salvation, how many of you know that salvation is free for us? How many of you believe that? Salvation is free. You don't have to do anything. Yes, that is true. Salvation is free for us, but somebody paid the price. It was not free for, for another person. It was free for the Israelites at that time living in that house. It was not free for the lamb. That lamb gave his life for them. There was a shedding of blood and it was not totally free. Jesus shed his blood for us. And this is exactly the particular statement of Jesus when he was saying in in the Last Supper when he was declaring before his disciples and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave to them saying, drink of it, all of you, For this is my what? My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Blood is necessary in order for us to be forgiven of our sins. Are you tracking with me? Are you learning something this evening? You know, this is so important for us because this is the basic tenet of our faith. We've got to be experts of this. And we don't just need to know this by head. We've got to live it in our hearts. Amen. The blood of Christ has got to be applied in our hearts by faith. Everybody say, by faith. We're saved by faith, by the grace of God, not by work, so that we cannot boast before Him. It's because of the finished work of Christ on that cross. And the last point I want to share is, Jesus is the saving Lamb. The only one who's qualified to save us is Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other plan B. Jesus is the only way. Here we can see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see a pattern. The lamb that was slain in the Old Testament was supposed to cover the people from death and to cover and atone them for their sins. And Christ, the lamb, who was crucified and slain on that cross, really was sent there to shed his blood so that he can save all of us from our sins. This gift is available for all of us. The question is, are we going to receive the gift? It's available, but a decision has got to be made. And you've got to apply it personally in your life. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn. Why the firstborn? 
There's something significant about the firstborn at that time. Now, how many of you are firstborns here? You are the panganay. Please raise your hand. I'm raising up my hand as well. I'm the firstborn. Can you imagine if we were living in the land of Egypt at that time? What a scary thought. I was thinking about that. I could not imagine what they were feeling at that time because they knew that if this does not work, they're going to die. And at the cost of the firstborn, basically the firstborn lamb was the cause of that. So that the firstborn can be redeemed. And this is where we see the word redemption. We were redeemed from death because of the death of someone else. And Jesus is the only begotten Son. He gave His life for us. Exodus 4.22 says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And this is the warning that was given to Pharaoh. In Mark chapter 1, it's confirmed that Jesus is the favored one. Of course, we know this. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Even, G- even before Jesus went out for ministry, God was already pleased with him. Because it's not about what he did. It was about our relationship. And I believe that all of us need to have a personal encounter and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8. I'm beginning to close now. Romans 8, 1. Can we just read this out loud? 1, 2, 3. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you talk about condemnation, this is a feeling of guilt. It's not just a feeling of, I feel bad because I did this or I did that. You know, condemnation here talks about eternal damnation. There is therefore no eternal damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And how many of you are in Christ Jesus? Please raise your hand. Praise God. That is our sign of redemption from Him. Amen? It's a gift. We've got to accept it. Because ultimately, Christ is our Redeemer. I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the Lamb of God who can only... Who, who's only qualified to take away the sins of the world. Our Savior King, Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. He declared this. Jesus said to him, the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you look at the redemptive plan of God for man, this particular picture of the Passover and the sacrificed lamb in the Old Testament was a way of pointing to the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And that was the plan. There's no plan B. That's the only plan. When Jesus declared, I am the way, He was not saying, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life, and there are other ways. Anyway, all path leads to heaven. He's saying this exclusivity clause. I am the way. There's no other way. He's the only one who can qualify to sacrifice for man's sin because he is the only perfect man who ever lived. People can die for another person. We've seen that. We've seen heroes give their lives for this nation and give their lives for the sake of saving another person. Yes, that's a good gesture. And that's very selfless. But that doesn't qualify that person to pull him out of his sin 
and give him eternal life. Only one person did that. And his name is Jesus. Because Jesus is the only true Lamb of God by whom we can be saved. Amen. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.